0: Mattinson, welcome to Better Reading.
2: Welcome. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Um, well, wow. it's a great biography and I'm going to read it right now, your introduction, that you started as a journalist and you had a cadet in 1997. Campbell worked as a writer, editor, photographer and wine critic. I mean, they're all pretty much except reading they're all the things that I love in life
2: (laughs) yeah it's fair to say I've spent my life doing things I enjoy
0: (laughs) yeah I know I'm the same particularly interested in your story he has also had stints as a dishwasher in an Indian restaurant as a data clerk at a stockbroker and a proofreader of phone books now that would have been the hardest job I'd say
2: Yes, the proofread of phone books. I'm glad you picked up on that, actually, because I just think it's the, the funniest thing. But, uh, yeah, if, if a phone number is wrong, that, that was termed a critical error.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember years, this is years and years ago. My sister worked in a, um at a legal practice and she had some business cards printed for her boss, and that was back then where business cards were so important, and she printed her phone number <laughs> <laughs> rather than his and her home number. <laughs> Oh my God! She wow. would have needed a proofreader. Anyway, Campbell has also won the best Australian sports writing award in 1996 for a story that is the basis of We Were Not Men. And that's the book that we're talking about today. He's also written a 2006 biography of winemaker Maurice O'Shea called The Wine Hunter, and that has won numerous awards. I mean, you obviously have been writing for a very long time. He describes his new novel and his debut novel, We Were Not Men, as the only story I ever really wanted to write. Wow. Okay, so we're going to come to how you wrote that. Firstly, I want to go back to where the love of writing started. Where did you grow up, and at what point did you know that you were going to be a writer?
2: Yeah, um, I grew up in the western suburbs of Melbourne, and and where I came from was, you know, and, and it's it's referenced in the book in terms of, um, you know, we looked out the front window of our house almost you know, pretty much literally at the oil refinery, and um, and that that area. It was a very characterful area. It was always really important to me, um, but but you know the urge to write—I don't know—it's it's not something you ever decide on. I, you can, I can't remember a time when I when I didn't want to write. There was a moment—I was, there, I was there either in grade five or grade six, so you know I was, I was ten or eleven years old, I guess, when I was accused of plagiarism, and I remember sitting there by a by a teacher, and I remember sitting there. And I I don't think I actually said anything. I don't think I even denied it. Just the fact that somebody thought that that was from a book and I knew that I'd written it. It was, it was the best encouragement you could ever get, I think, for a kid. It has to be one of
0: the greatest compliments, doesn't it? So she accused you or he accused you of plagiarism because it was so well written that you possibly could not
2: have written it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, wow. Yeah, it was because they just didn't think that that was an 11-year-old's writing.
0: Wow, wow. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that extraordinary? It wasn't that, you know, it was a paragraph out of, you know, Lord of the Flies or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been familiar.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so. um,
0: did you feel that as writing as a child, that that was what you were going to do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it was always just a matter of what does that look like in terms of, you know, how do you make a living out of that? Like, I, I, I always just wanted to write stories and fiction but I was you know aware that that was probably going to mean journalism and so um it was how do I get into journalism from there
0: Mm. and were you a great reader
2: oh absolutely yeah Mm. I mean I I always look back and think how lucky I was with the teachers who who recognized what it was that I was into or what I wanted to do and just let me do it (laughs) in terms of you know I can I had teachers who just went right from the end of primary school onwards look if you just want to sit and read books which is all I want us to do they just let me read books in class (laughs) you know because
0: it's not a bad activity yeah that's right
2: yeah Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, even I remember in HSC English the English teacher said I said to her, look, I think that the, this class is kind of a waste of time. Do you mind if I just go to the library? And she went, sure, you know. So I spent all of the year 12 at the library reading. Mm.
0: What do you think are some of the early
2: influences? As in writers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't remember a lot of it, to be honest. I remember Ivan Southall and the spooky thing about the fact that, you know, he was the first author, other than things like Stormboy. Boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he was the first author that really, really captured me. And the spooky thing is, that's from literally 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Just recently, I mentioned Ivan Southall to my mother-in-law. And she said that he actually lived on the property that my wife grew up on. Oh, wow. and I only learned that two weeks ago and we've been married, you know, over 20 years. So this got this writer who influenced me 40 years ago, it turns out he lived on the same, fa- they lived on a, on a farm. He lived on, he had a house on the edge of the farm. Wow. bear farm.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you were destined. I'm just—I just looked him up, and Hills End um, is one of the books that come, comes up. Josh is another. He's not somebody I'm all that familiar with. Um, so then you went to high school. Sometimes I find the passion for reading and writing gets quashed in high school, and mainly for boys. I, I'm not quite sure why. Did that happen to you?
1: Yeah,
2: not at all. <laughs> oh, good. And um, but that said, in both year eleven and twelve, I was the only boy in literature.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It does um, for a reason, doesn't it? They pick yeah. it up back at university, but seem to give it up a little bit in high school.
2: Not at all. In Not fact, For you, yeah, no, it just got, it just got ramped up further.
0: <laughs> yeah. And is that because you were reading more?
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess I just, I guess it's a matter of finding the right books. I mean, there's so many, obvious, the state, the bleeding of is there's so many different types of books. There's a book for everybody. Yeah. And um, sure. I, I guess I was just coming across the right books.
0: And you had the right teachers and the right people around I you. did
2: have the right teachers and, and I, I just felt like I was blessed all through high school in terms of, you know, well, I had a couple of great teachers for two years each, but, you know, mm. I, I didn't have a bad English teacher. And they were I the could... kind of teachers who brought books to life. So, yeah. Mm.
0: So you then decided you wanted to be a journalist. Is that right?
2: I did, yes. Mm. I thought that was the the best path forward. For somebody who wanted to write, and interestingly, my careers teacher said, "You know, you're not going to get into journalism; it's too hard." And so, I actually, straight out of university, didn't even—sorry, straight out of high school—didn't even attempt to get into journalism. And um, because I took that advice literally, that it was too hard to get into, and I met the editor of the local paper very late in the night, with both of us quite uh, had. Quite a bit to drink, <laughs> and um, and I got a cadetship out of it.
0: Oh wow! I want to go back to that, but I just want to touch a little bit on careers counselors. We they didn't exist when I was at school, so I'm I'm, I'm older than you. However, in the two hundred odd podcasts that I've been recording for the last couple of years and speaking to writers, not one of them has ever said, oh, and I had a great careers counsellor <laughs> that said, <laughs> you should pursue your writing. Yeah. A lot of people have said they've had great teachers, particularly English teachers, yeah. but career counsellors seem to dissuade
2: people. Yeah.
0: From their passion.
2: <laughs> but, it's crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you're a careers counsellor out there, write to me and let me know why. But you know, that, that, does seem to happen um so cadet chips are fantastic aren't they for journalists
2: oh absolutely particularly i was at a a suburban paper and then at a country ball well, out a suburban country fringe and you just get thrown in at the deep end and it's it really is it, it's got its downsides <laughs> but they're terrific they're terrific
0: yeah, and I guess, too, I mean, it makes perfect sense learning on a job with writing because, you know, you're writing, you have to write a couple of stories, you know, probably a day or, you yeah, know, in a week. Yeah. And so that's the practice of writing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I'm, I'm not quite sure what it's like these days. I mean, I know the demand the demands on local journalists are so much greater, but mm. the kind of depth of experience that we had around us, because it was a proper news team, even though it was uh, um, just a local paper in that there was, you know, the, the sub-editor was, you know, had been in the game for 40 years and had been at dailies and, and, you know, the casual sub was the same and you had a hierarchy of A grade, B grade, C grade journalists. And so for first year you connect to walk into that, you just had so much to be inspired by, but just, you know, like I've still got those people sitting on my shoulder now in terms of, you know, I hear the things that they used to say, don't do this, do this, look out for this. It it still rings.
0: Yeah, fantastic experience, isn't it? So I want to know then how you got to be a wine critic, because um, if there's something that I'm crazy about in life and that outside of books (laughs) and food, I guess, but let's talk about wine. How did you you step into that?
2: Yeah, look, I I realised pretty early on in journalism that I was better suited to freelance than to staff. And so I, I went out on my own and I was, it's a fairly tough road for, for a freelancer than it was. It certainly was back then. It's probably got a little bit easier. Um, I got interested in wine and thought that I'd pitched an article on wine, which I did and which was picked up. And then I'd never, I never, I literally didn't pitch another article for over a decade because all the work just came to me. There was just a lot oh. of work in wine, and so I, I never made the decision to be a wine writer. I never called myself a wine expert, even though that's technically what I've done for the last 20 years. Mm. <laughs> so it was an accidental career, but it's been a wonderful career for me. Mm.
0: But aren't so many careers accidental?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. And this, this was, I mean, it, it's not accidental in the, the journalism side of it, but just but I'd focus on the one topic.
0: Mm. So do you get sent beautiful wine almost every day?
2: I do, and, and whilst that sounds great, it's fairly hard, hard work physically just being around alcohol all the time, mm. all the time. I was captured by wine or captivated by wine because of the landscape aspect of it, the people working the landscape and their interaction with the landscape, I mean that the higher you go up the wine hi- hierarchy, the more it becomes about the specific patch of land, and so I always found that fascinating. But most of my jobs actually is just opening bottles. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah. It is interesting because um, I think uh, I don't think about wine that much. Um, it's not my career, but. When I do open a bottle of wine these days, and I think for me it has been a maturity thing, it's the complex of the smell, the complex of the taste, but very often now it takes me back to moments, to places like Reading does, where I've had that taste. Yeah,
2: yeah. well, you know, funny you should say that because the thing that actually really clicked me over to wine is I'd grown up on this property at Flowerdale, my grandparents had, which features in the book, and that property had been sold and so I kind of had this really... Both an emotional attachment to that property, but it was lost. It was lost, lost to, to me. And 15 years after that property, you know, we stopped being able to go to that property. I picked up this wine at a work event and wasn't thinking anything of it. I was just, you know, nine o'clock on a, at a work function on a Tuesday night. And I picked up this wine and I just smelt at it casually. And as soon as I smelt at it, I smelt at that wine. I thought, it smells like flower doll. It smells like that property that I'm that I miss, mm. and now that I've had, you know, now that I know more about wine, there's probably a, you know, not so romantic reason. I mean, it, that that wine was from the general vicinity, so you know, I didn't know that at the time, but I then went and researched it, and they were both from the, you know, that property was Yarra Valley fringe, and that wine was Yarra Valley. So, but it was probably just that it, that it was grown in an area, that wine was grown in an area that had similar gum trees growing there and I was smelling the gum trees.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how people always talk about, you know, books and coffee or books and wine and, you know, I've, beyond preparing to talk to you today, I knew that that there was a connection, but the connection is deeper. There is story in smell and taste, isn't there?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and one of the things you're trying to do is get it's very difficult to describe. They're not the easiest things to describe. I spend my whole life trying to describe them <laughs> because you're you're, you're as, it's as much trying to evoke those things as try, as it is trying to actually nail them. Mm. What impression do those things have on you?
0: Mm. I look at a, a, a kind of a biography or a career or a CV or whatever you want to call it of someone like you, and. I wonder, you know, when I'm doing my prep, why did it take you so long to write? But when you think about it, it's stories have to come from living, don't they? I mean, you can't write the great Australian novel just out of high school or just out of university. There has to be a life behind it, an experience, observation. I don't know. What do you think?
2: Yeah, it's... Um... It's something I've had a long, a long time to think
0: about, mm. Mm. <laughs> um, and a long time to live. You know.
2: Yeah, and and look, you know, particularly in in this book, this book centres around two two boys who've had a a really really tragic thing happen to them. You know, it, 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 there's a lot of hurt in this book. My life experience is nothing like the life experience of these boys, but trying to write a story. Over decades, it just hurt more and more and more that I couldn't get this book, this story, to where I wanted it to go, and so I felt like I, I came, you know, I'm dealing with fictional characters, but I came closer and closer to them over the years, and I think that that made it an immeasurably better book, and that if I had somehow, I started trying to write this book when I was in, you know, my mid midish twenties or maybe even younger than that, it couldn't possibly be anywhere near as good, no matter how good I was or, or wasn't back then. Like it, it, it's something, it's something I, I hesitate to say this publicly, but every now and then I read a book that's fantastic and think to myself, as good as that book is, it would be even better if that writer was 10 years older. Mm. Sometimes, you know, with books, sometimes it's it's not a rush.
0: Like, I, I think that a lot. People often, you know, comment on my career. Oh, you, you're so lucky you're in a job that you love. You know, you're so lucky you've got a business that you love. But in a way, I couldn't have gotten here without all those other jobs.
2: Yeah. There's yeah. no
0: way I could have had this job 20 years ago because yeah. I wouldn't have had the experience, the observation, the reading, the skill, all of it. You just don't have it, do you?
2: No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's it's a really interesting topic actually.
0: I, I get fascinated with authors and aging. Like, you know, when I read like say Peter Carey or um Ian McEwen or I I've read so much of those writers and in their fictional story I see them aging. Do you notice yeah, that about reading? Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you know, this is a little bit little bit off topic, but writers often talk about how writing's a muscle and you must practice it every day and that is absolutely true it Mm. couldn't it couldn't be truer but it's not the whole truth i I actually think that's important for writers you know to use an agricultural phrase to lie fellow i I think there's time when you shouldn't write and yeah through my journey i went through a long period where getting the perfect sentence was kind of the whole game and then I had, the, I had had a gap where I went, look, you know, certain things aren't, you know, I, I, I got off that treadmill of just writing every day all the time. And I started to realise that whether or not the sentence is perfect, oh, that's just a given. You know, if, you, if you're heading for publishing, the fact that you can write good sentences, that's just a starting line. That, that's kind of nobody really cares about that you've got to you know know how to tell a story and you've got to know how to build character and you know there's all these other things that are the are the real game
0: mm. I've spoken about this before on this podcast I am one of those people and I think I'm a dream reader for say a writer and I'm a dream watcher of TV or a watcher of movies or whatever because for some reason my brain like when I'm watching a movie and I'm petrified or somebody gets shot I don't think about cameras. Like people said to me, "Oh, you know," and that of course that wasn't true. No, 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 no. It's always true for me. I can't remove the craft from the story. I am in it a hundred and fifty percent. And it's the same with reading. I might not love it, but I can't see anything else other than what the story you're telling me.
2: Yeah, that's right. And and the better you get at the craft, and the better you get at the storytelling, and it may well have taken you you know years to get it to this point but it looks like you it looks effortless you know and it's that effortlessness that takes an enormous amount of effort an enormous amount of kind of just development of your craft
0: I remember when I first spoke to Tim Winton I'd been itching to speak to Tim Winton for years I've just I've read it and just about everything he's written. And if I lived in WA, I'd probably be stalking him. I'm that kind of a fan.
2: Well, it's funny you should say that, but i uh, sorry to interrupt. But um, one of my first ever freelance articles was was along the lines of, of stalking Tim Winston. It's like I traveled to WA just hoping to see him. <laughs> I, just, right. I just thought that he'd be, you know, and funnily enough, I actually did see him in Fremantle,
0: <laughs> which <laughs> was what were the talk? chances?
2: No, I didn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, so you wrote that?
2: Yeah, so it was called Winton Spotting.
0: Are you, are you going to send me that?
2: That's going back from the, to the mid-90s. Oh, okay. I wouldn't even have it, but yeah. Oh,
0: well, what a shame. <laughs> Let me just tell you a little bit about stalking. I lived in the UK in London for a while and I was on a bus and I saw um, Elvis Costello. Right. And I was mad on Elvis, right? Mad. I still am, actually. And I couldn't believe it. So when he got off the bus, I got off the bus and I just followed him, right? <laughs> and then I followed him home. He must have known I was there. I know I was like, you know, maybe 20. And then when he got to his house and he walked in, I thought, hmm, so what do I do now? And then I just walked away. <laughs> like, what was the point of that, Cheryl? I you know, it was such yeah. a futile exercise. <laughs> and I think in a way his body language felt that as well. It's like, you know, what's she going to do once I get home? Nothing. You know, <laughs> I haven't stalked anyone since because I realized uh, it's kind of a dead end. But anyway, getting back to Tim Winton. So Tim Winton, he had been hard to to track down and somebody to speak to. And when I finally got a podcast with Tim Winton, you can imagine um, how excited I was. And it was in person. It was pre-COVID. So he came into our office. When he started to talk about craft, He then told me how many times he rewrites a sentence or he rewrites a page. And then when he delivers it, then it's the editorial process and all the rewriting. And for some reason, with all my experience, with everything, because this is only like, you know, three or four years ago, it wasn't that long ago. So I should have known better. I was so surprised that it didn't all just come out that way.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: What? And I think it's because it reads that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely, which is what we're all striving for. (laughs) Yeah, I actually remember going back to writing school, an editor came and spoke to us and she was talking about how she'd copy edited Helen Garner and what an experience that was and it took her a long time to dare to move a word.
0: (laughs) Can you imagine?
2: (laughs) Can
0: you imagine?
2: Yeah. And yeah. I
0: don't think that it would have been, um, I think she would have been slightly uh, prickly as well,
2: <laughs> I guess.
0: <laughs> Although one of my favourite books is the first time. Oh, and um, Joe Chinque's Consolation.
2: Yeah, they're great books.
0: Aren't they yeah, great yeah, books? Yeah. Great books. I've I, i I've got to say I'm probably more of the non-fiction fan than, than the fiction. But anyway, what a beautiful book.
2: Yeah, look, I, mean. I generally say that, but I still love Monkey Grip. I, I, yes. I think that Monkey Grip is is great. I've gone back to it a couple of times and I still love it. Mm. And I read Jacqueline Maley's latest book and thought, and it made me think of Monkey Grip. It couldn't be more different, but at the same time, there's just by the by, Jacqueline Maley is a force.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. (laughs) All right. I'll I'll take note of that. I I remember when I read Joe Cinque, I didn't realize that there was a photograph of him at the end of the book. And also I'm not a, a person that reads the last page, or I know people do that. I don't do that. I'm really from beginning to end, and that's yep. how I, I run it. And I remember when I finished and then I saw his photo and it really just you know tiny little photos like a passport size photo. And it just added to, to yeah, that great yeah, story. It's yeah. really well done. Now talk to me about we were not men. You'd been working on it for years. My curiosity around books like this is at what point do you think it's finished
2: and in some ways I mean it is finished obviously but in this uh, because I've been able to tinker with it for so long I'm still tinkering with it in my head just a little bit yeah because wow. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah, I'm wow. so used to just seeing and reading and listening and and you know just having those thoughts and the the story of the story is that um you know and it's going back a hell of a long time but Somebody who was important to me died tragically and you know, in a way that just hit all of us.
0: How and old were you when that happened?
2: It was nineteen ninety, so I guess I was twenty-two.
0: That's formative, right?
2: Yeah. And mm-hmm. and and now that I've come out and, and and started talking about this, about how this guy how much this guy's death affected me, because I just had an outpouring, not of his story, but a story that, that bounced directly off his story it's been incredible how many people have come to me in the last few weeks and said yeah I, st- I still think about him all the time too and somebody said yep yeah, there's, a, there's a kind of video tribute to that that guy and somebody said I watch it every month and it's 30 years later <laughs> isn't that incredible mm, beautiful <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I bounced straight off that. I just had this outpouring and, and wrote he was a he was good at sport and he was a twin and he died on a river. And I poured my heart into this story that was about twins who were good at sport, who spent a lot of their life on a creek, but you know, in the water. And so it was directly, you know, inspired by that. And I had a book, I reckon in nine months, and and actually I printed it out and got an envelope and addressed it and I was, you know, I was going to send it to wherever I was going to send it to. And I just went, I probably should read it through one more time, and then I just realised that I had these twin boys, you know, their story was quite simple but clear and I was happy with the storyline, but they go to live with their grandmother and I just didn't think she added enough and that was the start. <laughs> of a very long journey.
0: Well, I tell you what, Campbell, it's well worth it. It it really is a beautiful book. It's called We Were Not Men. It's out now. Congratulations.
2: Thank you very much.
0: If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook
1: or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio.